Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 36 of the Four Feathers Podcast. I am your host, Johnny Nani. Joined tonight by Tony Marchese. It's time to crack them and get caught up on the Hawks. Tastes good, Tone. Sure does, buddy. How are you, man? Hey, Tony, I am good. Uh, it is glad to be back for an episode of Four Feathers. It has been a little bit. We've been doing our post-game shows, our Blackhawks Untapped shows. Uh, we've been sharing those now through Four Feathers podcast account as well. Um, so make sure everybody gets those. But it's uh, been a while since we've been back for uh, Four Feathers. So numbering on these may seem a little bit off, but this is 36 of our extended Four Feathers shows here. Um, yeah, you excited to talk some Hawks tonight, man? Absolutely, Johnny. It's... Uh... It's a good time to do this. We're, we're heading into the holidays. We've got a guest lined up tonight. Uh, like you said, we've been doing these little recaps, but I, I'm ready to pick apart some of this stuff that's going on with this team. Um, more in depth than what we get to do in our little t- half hour segment that we get um, after a post game show. I know a lot of these we want to ramble off and, and talk more in depth. And I think we got a really good guest on to talk more in depth Blackhawks tonight. Should be a good show. Yeah, Tone, uh, we definitely do have a good guest. Uh, That guest is Tab Bamford. He is the owner of CommittedIndians.com. He had agreed to join us, uh, finally worked out for the night that we were able to record and have him on. So uh, obviously he's been at this a while, Tone, uh, longer than we have. So it it will be good to get his insider perspective on this, uh, his feelings on the team, because it may differ from, uh, you know, how we kind of view this thing and uh, probably get more of our, uh, you know, rants night in and night out but uh you know i think tab will be able to give us some good analysis here but before we bring him on Tone, uh we do need to get to some news here um as we sit right now we're recording this on tuesday december 17th uh in the evening so the hawks sit at 13 15 and 6 32 points that is last in the central second to last in the west um other than that news notes here uh keith is hopeful Duncan Keith hopeful to return Wednesday versus Colorado. Um, Alex to bring it missed practice on Monday with an illness, but uh, hopefully that's not that flu that kept Olimata out. What seemed like over a week and a half, uh, but we'll see. We will see what happens on Wednesday night. Um, I would assume that was just a uh, short little thing. Uh, I hope he's good to go for Wednesday night's game against Colorado because we'll need him. And then uh, other than that, Calvin Hahn is on injured reserve with a shoulder injury that he suffered in the Vegas game. Uh, he's seeking second opinions on a big decision. Reports from Scott Powers of the Athletics say that uh, he will likely need so- shoulder surgery and be out at least four to five months. So, um, you know, we, we will get the official news on that uh, as soon as the team makes anything known. But uh, that's kind of status on him right now. Don't expect Calvin Hahn back anytime soon is basically the bottom line there. Other than that, uh, Drake Kajula on injured reserve with a concussion and uh, Andrew Shaw on long-term injured reserve with a concussion. So um, that is where the Blackhawks stand. A lot of people dinged up, a lot of people getting sick here, but, um, you know, they they got a win on uh, Sunday night, one that they desperately needed against the Minnesota Wild. Um, before we get too far in depth to that, I think it's time tone to bring our guest on, Tab Bamford of CommittedIndians.com, because he will help us break those games down with us. Sounds good to me, man. All right, and now we are back with our guest, Tab Bamford of CommittedIndians.com. Tab, thank you so much for joining us tonight. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast. How are you doing, man? Uh, I am surviving uh, a little bit better than the Blackhawks defense, but I'm doing all right. Good to be with you guys. Yeah, Tab, thanks for coming on, man. Um, Let's get right into some of this here. Uh, First, 
just why don't we let everybody know a little bit more about you? Uh, how did you get into Blackhawks coverage, and, and what's your background with this? Yeah, so uh, I was a journalism major in college, uh, which was the dark ages. Um, without making it too painfully clear how old I am, uh, I was a freshman in college when uh, the certain individual was traded to a certain team in the state that looks like a glove and everyone lost their minds. Um, and so uh, I went to college uh, when most fans left uh, the United Center and uh, studied journalism, loved the Blackhawks, couldn't watch them in-state or out-of-state, so it uh, wasn't really a big problem because they weren't really worth watching at that point. But uh, when I got out of school, I worked in finance for a few years, and when the blogosphere became a thing, uh, I immediately jumped into wanting to write about stuff that I'm passionate about. And the Hawks was near or at the top of that list always. Uh, and so I, I started out working, doing a lot of stuff. I was an NHL managing editor for Bleacher Report for a year, uh, did a lot of hockey writing at Bleacher Report, and then decided to jump off and do my own thing. So uh, ten, a little more than 10 years ago, uh, we launched CommittedIndians.com. Quickly after that, I started a relationship with the incredible folks at the fourth period magazine. Uh, and I've been working with them ever since I've been out doing my own thing ever since. And uh, thankfully we've seen three Stanley cup victories since then. Uh, and hopefully there are brighter days in the future because uh, 10 years ago, starting your own uh, Hawks blog, it was a fun ride to get started with because uh, the comment sections were a hell of a lot easier to deal with than they are now. Yeah, I can only imagine uh, things could be <laughs> a little bit ha uh, hectic, hostile, uh, all that sort of thing uh, going on right now. But uh, you said you also write for the uh, fourth period. Can you just give us a little background about it? Because I know a little bit about it, but our listeners may not. Uh, what is the fourth period and um, how do you exactly uh, get involved with that? Yeah, uh, fourth period, it, it's actually really more of a we call ourselves a lifestyle magazine. So. Uh, if you follow him on the website on the fourth period.com or follow Dave Peñota, uh, the founder, or Dennis Bernstein, who's a U.S. editor on, on Twitter, um, and a lot of the great writers that we've got in different cities, uh, lots of guys are talking about specific games, talking about what's going on right now. Uh, Peñota is incredibly plugged in, so he's doing a lot of rumor breaking and, and trade breaking and contract breaking and stuff like that. Um, but the magazine itself, uh, which comes out, quarterly is really more what what do guys love to do off off the ice what do they like to do away from from the rink so uh it's fun to get together with guys and talk to them about family and food and and kind of what they're passionate about uh, away from hockey uh but then we always come back to what's going on uh when you've got the jersey on what what are you doing uh when you're on the ice and things like that so like I said, uh, really incredible crew of guys. Uh, we've done a lot of really ridiculous stuff together. Uh, but Dave and, Den and Dennis are two of the absolute rock stars in hockey media. So it's a privilege to work with those two guys. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so I've definitely checked it out a little bit. If uh, our listeners have not, I definitely recommend going and checking out the fourth period. Tab writes over there pretty frequently as well as CommittedIndians.com, uh, like we said. So Tab, getting into Blackhawks here, uh, since that's what we're all here for, uh, that's what our listeners are here for uh, primarily. Uh, let's talk recently about trends. Uh, we did not get a chance to get our recap episode out for uh, the St. Louis and Minnesota games, and we kind of got two opposite ends of the spectrum here. So uh, we figured we would open it up and talk about it with our guest here. Um, let's start with the St. Louis game. Uh, things are looking, you know, 
pretty good. Uh, I mean, obviously the first period, not great uh, against St. Louis on Saturday night, but early period goals from Brandon Saad in both the second and third frames, Patrick Kane with the one to put him up three to nothing. And then the collapse happens. Uh, just thoughts on Saturday night's game, because I think that was a gut wrencher for everybody involved uh, in the Blackhawks world. Yeah. I, you know, it was kind of, I think a, a lot of people, I think, thought that was going to happen in Boston a week earlier. Uh, you got up three to nothing on Boston early in the third period. They stormed back. Uh, the Hawks were able to hang on by their fingernails, push it into overtime and, and get a win there. Um, but this time they couldn't. And I think the reality is that in the National Hockey League right now, you've got about a half dozen teams who are absolutely murdering people. And St. Louis is one of them. Uh, and frankly, Boston for the most part this year has been one of them, but uh, let's not ignore the fact that that was a three-goal comeback uh, from the Bruins without Bergeron in the lineup. Uh, but there are a half dozen teams or so that are murdering people, and then you got a whole bunch of teams that are streaky. Minnesota got off to a terrible start, uh, and now they're rolling. Now they look absolutely great. St. Louis is a team that has been clubbing people over the head all year. And Arizona was streaking up, up until the point that they got Taylor Hall. So the Hawks ran into three games in four nights against three teams that are playing really well right now. And they got hammered in two of them. Uh, and then the Minnesota game, they were able to kind of right the ship. But uh, the reality against the teams at the top, the St. Louis is the Boston's of the world. Uh, thankfully, they haven't had to go through Washington during this stretch. Um, but you've got those, like I said, those four or five teams up at the top that are crushing people. And it shouldn't surprise anyone that St. Louis did them the way that they did because St. Louis is a complete team. Uh, they're incredibly well coached, which uh, as a Hawks fan, for the first time since Quinville was down there, we're envious of. And it, they are they are playing uh, the type of hockey that I think a lot of teams would envy. Because people forget, because St. Louis has the best record in the Western Conference, that they've gotten almost nothing from Vladimir Tarasenko this year. He's been on the shelf since, I think, a dozen games into the regular season. So they're doing this without Tarasenko, and they're crushing people. There is no cup hangover uh, in St. Louis. Uh, oh, how the tables have turned. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this, is, this, this Hawks team has a lot of ability. Uh, there's a lot of skill there. Um, but there's also not the ability to take your foot off the gas. And I think that the Blackhawks got a three-goal lead, and even though six days prior they had blown a three-goal lead against Boston, I got the sense that they got comfortable and they got complacent and they let St. Louis off the hook. And a terrible, uh, a terrible turnover by Nylander opened the gate, and uh, it was dice from there. So, yeah, the Blues, uh, the Blues put it on them. But that's what good teams are going to do to teams that are struggling and uh, are not well coached and are playing mediocre in their own end. Yeah. So uh, you had brought up a point at the end there about the Nylander turnover that led to that first goal. Uh, pretty blatant. How does one commit such a turnover, uh, such a blatant error, and then get promoted two lines the next night? Yes. Uh, ordinarily, I would say, uh, that some form of hard alcohol was involved, uh, maybe, a lost bet, uh, maybe an act of God or, uh, you know, some type of, uh, really unfortunate sickness going through the team. No, uh, we've got a coach finishing puberty who decided that Alex Nylander, who has as mental, as many mental errors 
as he does positive shifts this year, got to got to roll with 88. So, sure, you know what? Why not? Of course, you know, they go out and look great on their first few shifts, and everybody's like, oh, well, that's justified. Well, no, it's not. Um, lightning in a bottle, uh, blind squirrel finding nut, whatever you want to say. Uh, Nylander has had his moments this year, but at the end of the day, he has, to me, been little more than Victor Stahlberg 2.0. Uh, lots of flash, a lot of sex appeal. Uh, does not appear to have a great hockey IQ. Uh, struggles uh, with the finish. And just there are moments that you wonder what Pee Wee coach let him back on the ice because you don't know how on the good Lord's earth uh, a turnover like that can happen. Uh, but, hey, you know, if that's what it takes to get promoted, maybe Kirby Doc should start coughing it over 10 feet in front of the net. <laughs> yeah, seriously, Tab. Uh, I mean, I think we're going to get a little bit more into some of these uh, deals. And, you know, obviously, Nylander, uh, you know, acquired from the Buffalo Sabres for a young and promising defenseman who's flourishing over in Buffalo now in Henry Yoki Haru. But, um, you know, uh, that uh, other than that, though, I want to, you know, that that kind of just led us into this game. But with Minnesota, I thought the shot suppression was what impressed me most, limiting them to 26. Uh, what do you think tightened up on the back end there? Um, you know, at the end of the day, and and I, I want to, it, it's it's really dangerous water to tread through with Blackhawks fans when you start talking about the leadership in the room because so many Blackhawks fans are so hypersensitive to how much money these guys make. Uh, and we become uh, we become a fan base that evaluates the merits of a player based on his cap hit uh, versus what he brings to the team. And at the end of the day, uh, when the dust settles, uh, Jonathan Taves will be remembered as one of the finest leaders that the game has ever seen. Patrick Kane, uh, for all of his youthful exuberance and the issues that we saw 10 years ago, uh, has become a leader in that room. Uh, and very few people on the planet have questioned Brent Seabrook's leadership ability at this stage in his career. And I think without DeHaan and, and without Keith, uh, I think they got on a plane home from St. Louis and somebody probably stood up and said, guys, what the heck are we doing? Uh, let's just, we, we got to button this thing up. And there's enough responsible defensive forwards on that roster that there really isn't a good excuse for blowing a three goal lead. Uh, and they tried against Minnesota. They, they really tried to lose that game. Uh, but when the chips were on the table for the second night in a row, uh, the big guns showed up. And so uh, I think you have to credit the veterans on that team that have got some hardware at home for, for sticking their neck out and saying, let's, let's get this thing done. Um, and there are some young guys that I think deserve more opportunity. They've gotten a little bit more ice time in recent games. Uh, I, I've been begging for Kubalik with Saad and Taves since you know, September um, I love that kid's game. Uh, somehow, I, I guess he's got the wrong last name uh, to get the Nylander uh, jump seat. But uh, I, I think the more that he skates with other quality NHL players who have some offensive ability, uh, the more he's going to show and the more he's going to be a factor for the offense. But they were, they were just able to hunker down, and Patrick Kane had a Patrick Kane night. And the only X factor on that team right now uh, offensively is when Patrick Kane wants to take something over, more times than not, he's going to do it. And Patrick Kane put on an absolute clinic against Minnesota. Uh, and after the game, when he said, I think I got a lot left in the tank, you watch games like that, and he still looks like he's 25. So uh, there are nights that you are reminded just how special some of these guys in the Blackhawks are. And to his credit, you know, against St. Louis, 
and Minnesota. Jalen Taves has been fantastic for the last week, and and a lot of the the sexy numbers, the goals might not be there, but he's been dominant at the dot for a few games in a row now, uh, and he really put it out there uh, against St. Louis and came back and had a strong night against Minnesota as well. So the old guys got it done, uh, which is a positive because uh, at some point somebody needs to lead, and I'm not sure how much of it's coming from behind the bench. Johnny, isn't that something that you and I have kind of hammered home to over the course of basically this entire season is, you know, that that X factor that Tab talked about, Patrick Kane taking over a game. And I believe it was leading into this weekend, Johnny, where you and I said, you know, when's the last time we've seen a hat trick come out of this team? When's the last time we've seen yeah. one of those ultra dominant performances? And that's exactly what you got. Yeah, no, we, we really did, Tony. I think we I I think I legitimately asked you that question. I was like, when was the last time a hat trick was scored by any Blackhawks player, not just you know one of the top guys? But uh, I figured if there was one guy to do it, it would be Patrick Kane, uh, and obviously uh, came to fruition on Sunday night. So uh, that was great to see. It was close though because it was almost Brandon Sod. Yeah, and that would've... just would have that would have sent Ron, who's not with us tonight, Dad, but we've got <laughs> another member of this uh, the show who's a. Uh, the, I would say Brandon Sod's biggest supporter. And, yeah. you know, he would he would have been really happy to have seen that. You know what? I, I would have been happy to see it because uh, Sod's playing the best hockey of his career for, in my mind right now. And uh, the numbers show it too. The, but, but the shot percentage isn't quite where he wants it to be still. And this is a guy who is uh, absolutely bodying people. The reason they brought him back is because they needed someone to be what Marion Hossa was in the lineup. And while certainly no one is going to replace the demigod 81, but Saad is, has been as good as we've seen uh, since Hossa left this year. Um, and so the more opportunities that he has to pad the stat sheet, the better you feel about it because he's a guy who's working his ass off and it's you want to see dividends for the effort um, because hockey's a game much like baseball where every night, you're not necessarily going to get the payoff. Uh, there's there's puck luck. Uh, there's bad bounces. There's incredible saves. There are guys that steal one from you. Uh, and sometimes you just want to get that cheapy. So uh, Saad keeps working his tail off, and I'd like to see more and more of, uh, of the positive rewards in the box score for him. All right. And with that said, Brandon Saad getting close to the hat trick. Patrick Kane getting the hat trick. Who's the next offensive guy that's going to go off? Who else are you looking at here, Tab, that, that can actually put some pucks in the net and take over the game? Can you expect a kind of resurgence here from Jonathan Taves coming up? Or do you think what we're getting out of Jonathan Taves right now is about what we're going to see the rest of this season? Uh, you know, I, I here's the thing. It, Ryan, what, when they, a lot of what Bowman did in the offseason was to try and take stress off of his big guns. And, and so when you look at like the carpenter and how they're using David camp, these guys need to learn how to win a face-off because otherwise Jonathan Taves is going to have to keep taking 40, 50% of the face-offs every night in every zone. Uh, and he's going to have to continue to participate on all of the special teams. And this is the thing. You don't want Taves and Saad to be used on every single moment of every single power play because you need him on the penalty kill and vice versa. You don't want him to be spending all their time on the penalty kill and have that somehow draw back on the power play. I think there are more goals coming from Taves. Uh, I mean, right now he's tied with the Brinkett for second on the team in points. Uh, I, he's been rolling right now. He's playing really good hockey. 
I think if they keep that line of Saad, Taves, and Kubalik together, you'll see all three of them start to produce. Uh, Kubalik's got eight goals. Uh, Taves got seven. Saad's got 11. I think that's a really sexy line. For me, the question is, if you're going to keep screwing around with Nylander, what happens to Alex Dabrinkit? Uh, because he was the guy that got pushed down the lineup the other night when Nylander got moved up to the Kane line. Uh, Debrinkit is only shooting 8.2% right now uh, on a beautiful Tuesday night. So going into this week's games, his shooting percentage is atrocious. He's not getting the volume of shots every night that you would like to see. Um, and he's more assist-driven than I think a lot of us want to see. And so I think when you look at the Brinkett, how does he function without Strom? How does Strom function without him? And which one of them can elevate their game? Or do those two need to be together? And what does that mean for Patrick Kane if Jeremy Collins is going to subscribe to the Joel Quinville spread out the offense uh, mindset? I would submit leave to Brinkett, Kane, and Strom together. Leave Kubalik with Saad and Taves. Let the bottom six fend for themselves and see what you've got in Doc and just let the top two lines mow people down. But uh, that would uh, have to actually play out. And I do think I do think that the lo- missing element here is if Andrew Shaw was healthy, if he was in the lineup, uh, that's a dynamic that gives you something that can put it in on the third line uh, that right now is really, really missing in his absence. Uh, and he takes a little bit of a physical edge off of and, and takes a little physical pressure off of a kid like Kirby Doc. So uh, we're hoping that Shaw gets back at some point in the not-too-distant future. But when you start talking concussions, uh, it's a crapshoot, not only when you get back at 100% if you can, but how long you can stay there. Um, So there's a lot of moving pieces here. I kind of feel like it's a jigsaw puzzle and not all the pieces fit. Uh, There are some pieces that I'm not sure uh, should fit, Neilander, and there are others that I'd like to see given a more prominent role, Doc. But I, I leave those top six together for an extended period and just let them do work and let them get comfortable with each other. And if it means they're all getting 20 minutes a night, God bless, get it done. Because uh, you are at a place in the standings that if you legitimately want playoffs to happen, you can't wait until February to turn it on. Yeah, so Tab, I think you kind of transitioned to it perfectly into our next question here. Uh, I was going to ask you, you're kind of, you know, uh, we obviously branched off a little bit there, but our, you know, it was the most recent games that we were kind of focusing on at first. Uh, we kind of want to get your thoughts on the season overall, uh, because on paper, this thing should be better than it is right now. Obviously, injuries play a factor in it, like you said, and Andrew Shaw. We got Calvin Dehan out, uh, Drake Azula. There's been a number of them. Oli Mata missed, you know, hell, almost two weeks with the flu. Um, it, it's been you know hectic to say the least but uh thoughts on the season so far and then can they make a run uh, and what needs to happen for them to be able to do that Uh, playoffs uh well i'll start with can they make a run and i think in the western conference this year the answer to that actually is yes Uh, all you have to do is look at the minnesota wild uh, to see that all you need is the right couple weeks on the schedule uh, and a healthy team Uh, and find a little bit of a groove, and you can jump pretty quickly because that middle tier in the Western Conference is pretty mediocre. Um, But the hard thing is that you have to get healthy. Uh, You've got to find some consistency, and you've got to have the schedule line up, and those are three really big uh, requirements for that to happen, and the Blackhawks really don't have uh, a whole lot of wiggle room when it comes to that. 
when you talk about should this team be better, I, I do think so, but health is such a huge element here. The goaltenders have both been exceptional. And a lot of people in the comment sections on different sites have complained about Robin Leonard making five and Corey making six. At the end of the day, good goal, good goaltending costs money unless you've got a guy in an entry-level deal. Uh, when Pittsburgh won the Cup, Murray was on an entry-level deal. Guess what? He got a $4 million raise. Jordan Bennington got a $4 million raise when they won the Cup. So Brayden Holtby was already making whatever, 5 or $6 million when they won the Cup. So number one goaltenders make money. And the reality is we didn't know what Corey Crawford was going to be this year. And so if you eliminate Crawford from the conversation, you need to have a legit number one if you've got any chance of getting in the playoffs. We saw last year when Crawford went down what this team was with Cam Ward uh, and the gong show that was following him around with Colin D'Elia and everybody else that they tried to run through there. You've got to have good goaltending, and then you've got to have good blue line play. I really like most of the mix that the Blackhawks brought in. Calvin DeHaan's phenomenal. It sucks that he might miss a few months if you see the reports about surgery being a possibility and, you know, you might be looking February or March before he gets back. That sucks because I actually love that guy's game. I think he's the closest thing that we've had in the Indian head to Jalmerson since four left. I really like what I've seen from Connor Murphy's development since he got here. Uh, I think a lot of that is due to playing with guys like Brent Seabrook on a daily basis and learning how to get it done. Uh, and I, there, there are things to like about Olimata. My frustration is that over the past few years, Stan Bowman has been forced either because he doesn't trust his scouts evaluation of prospects or he's just owning the fact that he has not drafted well in five or six years. He's slapped these mediocre veteran band-aids on roster spots and refused to allow young players to play themselves into an NHL role this year. He brought back Slater Cuckoo. I don't know why, um, because he loves the letter K. I don't know. Uh, but he brought him back. He gets to sit there and be your sixth or seventh defenseman. And literally, like, Duncan Keith practically took out a billboard outside of the practice rink that said, keep Dennis Gilbert here. He's a badass. He brings something we don't have. He likes to punch people. Dennis Gilbert's cool and tough. Still good, right? Like, keep Dennis Gilbert here. Carl Dahlstrom showed me a little bit last year that he was at least intriguing enough that I would have kept Dahlstrom over Cuckoo over the summer. Dahlstrom? has to go through waivers. He ends up getting claimed by Winnipeg and the Hawks get nothing for him. And so you keep bringing in these or keeping in the case of Cuckoo after getting him for nothing last year, because you overpaid by giving away nothing. Uh, you bring it, you keep a guy here and he, it isn't that warm bodies are necessary. It's that these warm bodies are taking a roster spot away from a kid that theoretically you're developing to be a cost efficient replacement for someone when they get hurt or when they get too old. And the Blackhawks haven't, frankly, done that, especially on the blue line, in about four years. And now you've got this young crop of guys that everybody really likes, uh, Vlasic and Regula and Boquist and Bowden. And at some point, we're going to see Ian Mitchell wearing the Indian head. And frankly, I like Ian Mitchell more than anybody else in that crop. But now you've got five veterans sitting there on the NHL roster in front of them signed into next year. Uh, and so the question is, how do you get rid of somebody? that, frankly, not a lot of other people want to make room for one of these kids when he's ready to play in the NHL. And that's why it was probably easy for Bowman to trade Yoki Haru to Buffalo. 
because he's got Eric Gustafson sitting there making a million four, and you think it's this, oh, wonderful thing. We've got a 50-point defenseman making peanuts. Well, he's getting paid for his defensive play, which is worth a million four, not the 50 points. And you let Yoka how you go because you had a guy sitting there. I'm sure they probably could have traded Gustafson and his 50 points and gotten something better than Alex Nylander. But the 20-year-old is going to be the sexier move. And Buffalo won that trade, period. I don't have to wait five years to tell you. Buffalo kicked our ass on that trade. Um, but again, if you don't trust your scouts, if you don't trust that you're developing guys the right way, you're never going to make room for them at the NHL level. And that's something that Bowman has struggled to do, is make room at the NHL level for guys that he has developed internally and drafted and bring them up. And we've seen guys go. Philip Deneau is the biggest headache for everyone on the planet that loves the Indian head. But we've seen guys leave and turn into something somewhere else and there wasn't room for them on the NHL roster in Chicago because we had a 30-something crap bag skating 14 minutes and giving you nothing. Uh, the Dale Weeses of the world and the Slater Cuckoos of the world keep these kids in Rockford until their ELCs run out, and then we're pushing them through waivers, and Carl Dahlstrom is in Winnipeg. So uh, should this team be better? Absolutely. But there's, there's too many extra parts. Uh, there's too much wasted cap money on veterans, and there's just way too many guys that are trying to get thrown together to develop chemistry when the styles of play that they bring to the game don't mix. Uh, Kirby Doc shouldn't be skating with Ryan Carpenter unless he's killing a penalty, and it would take an act of God and a brawl line that we ne- haven't seen since Valentine's Day in the 80s for Kirby Doc to be killing a penalty with Ryan Carpenter. So um, the, there, there are pieces there for this team to be better, but uh, it's a grab bag right now. Uh, and I think that the veterans at times are able to kind of grab it by the reins and bring it together. But it's really hard to do that consistently when you've got a coach that keeps throwing Nylander up there with Kaner after a terrible night. And that was a really long answer, but I, I do think that there's a there there. They just have to figure it out and they should just start schlepping off some of the extra pieces and making room for kids at this point, because I do think that there's better talent in the system that's cost efficient and it's the future we should stop wasting our time on 30-somethings. Uh, or, with all due respect to Anton Vieden, uh, look at guys that could actually be here for the next four to five years instead of continually bringing in the Zach Smiths of the world. Yeah, I think that's a great answer. Uh, you know, we, I know you're a Cubs guy, but we're White Sox fans over here. Me and Tony are. Uh, we talk about trimming the fat on the roster, and we've been dying for the White Sox to be able to do that. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, it's a matter of that for the Blackhawks here as well. Um, there, there's a point that you brought up in there uh, about goaltending, and you know, you need to have you know, you know, people complaining about the money that's spent on goaltending. But bottom line is, you need to have good goaltending. And both of these guys, Corey Crawford and Robin Leonard, have been great for us this year so far. But uh, one thing that has stood out, and I know it's a hot topic, and I know Robin Leonard himself has addressed it, but what do you do about him on shootouts? Uh, This is just kind of something that came up in the, uh, you know, it didn't seem like a problem because it seemed like everything was all good. And, you know, he's a Vesna finalist with the New York Islanders and comes over here. Um, but reality the situation is for us to get that extra point in the extra in the regular season. Um, we got to be winning some of these shootout games because inevitably they're going to go to them because that's just the way things happen. Uh, we fall apart in the third period. Uh, games get closer than they should be. Um, and we end up going to a shootout. What do you do with Robin Leonard in a shootout situation here? I uh, <laughs> That that that's a question that's worth more than the five million dollars that he's getting paid. And if I could answer that, I'd probably have a much better job than I do now. Um, you know, it, it's really weird that a guy that's that good uh, has a one forty three 
save percentage in the shootout. Um, uh, literally, like, uh, you know, the blood alcohol of the average non-driving 300-level ticket holder uh, at home games is basically what Robin Leonard's save percentage is in the shootout. Um, I, the easiest, I mean, the, the easiest thing to remedy that with is don't blow third period leads, you know, on the rare, yes. occasion, the rare occasion that you actually have a lead, uh, the way that this team plays defense, uh, and likes to play the first 20 minutes with their head somewhere next to their small intestine. Uh, you know, it, on the rare occasion that you have a third period lead, get your shit together and just keep the lead. Don't let the team come back and push it to overtime. Play every game like you played the Minnesota game without, of course, giving up the two-goal lead and then ending up tied at three and having to finish it at the end. But ideally, get a multi-goal lead, hang on to it. And I think the hard thing right now is that you've, this, is, this is where coaching is important. When you've got young players and you're still trying to figure out chemistry and you've got a lot of injuries, so you, you're still working guys through different roles, because now you've got other guys playing where Dehan was. Now you've got other guys skating where Shaw was. Um, you, you're still trying to figure some of this stuff out. This is where coaching comes in. And you cannot take your foot off of the gas pedal in the National Hockey League. You cannot get a two or three goal lead and then go into a shell. There's no such thing as a prevent defense. And I feel like the Blackhawks get to a two or three goal lead in the third period and kind of exhale a little bit and say, oh, thank God, we actually did something right for 38 minutes. Well, it's a 60-minute game, kids. You can't play hard for 38 and think that you're done. So the easy answer to solving the Robin Lehner shootout problem is don't let it go to a shootout. But once you get it into overtime and a shootout situation, um, I don't know. I mean, th that's one of those freak things that he's going to have to figure out. But I'm really, really not a fan of the idea of Crawford coming off the bench in a pinch in the shootout because that's a real good way to injure somebody is to sit there for 65 minutes and then come out there in a shootout where you've got guys doing whatever the hell they want with the thing. Uh, and you're, you're looking for a guy who's been out there for 65 and he's good and loose yanking a groin. Uh, that's a good way to hurt somebody is to bring somebody out uh, for just the shootout. Uh, and I'd hate to have that put on me if I'm Crawford, I wouldn't want anything to do with that. And I think that Laner feels that for Crawford when he says, don't take me off the ice. I just have to be better. Um, and he's right. He does need desperately to be better in the shootout because the only th difference between him and every other guy who's going to be on that Vesna shortlist this year is the shootout percentage. And it, he gets that right. He's probably got three more wins than he does. And he's looking at like a 10, six and one, maybe and that's pretty dang good. Uh, so especially in a team that doesn't play defense and forgets how to score for weeks at a time. So love me some Robin Leonard. Uh, but at the end of the day, really it comes down to him getting it done. If it gets to the shootout uh, and the guys in front of him, desperately, desperately, desperately trying to keep it from getting to a skills competition so that he's not put on the line like that. Tab, you, you hit on something that uh, Johnny, this is another thing you and I talked about, and that's the lack of what we call around here, a killer mentality. And what I've always wanted to see this team do and what we saw during these cup run teams is they would step on the throats of their opponent. You had them down, you know they were down. And if you were down, you knew that the Hawks could come back at any given time. They've seemed to have lost that over the course of the last few years. I'm sure part of that is the coaching change. I'm sure part of that is personnel as well. 
but there's still a lot of the same guys on this roster that know how to do that. These veterans, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, they've been around, they've been on teams that, that know how to do that. What's it going to take to reinstill that mentality for this team? I think, um, I think accountability is a big thing. And that goes back to the Nylander thing. Uh, and, and we're, we're really dragging Nylander under the bus right now. It's not just about Alex Nylander. Uh, there are guys up and down this roster who could have benefited from a few fewer shifts uh, on a given night, could probably have stood to maybe have a few fewer minutes the following night. So it's not just a Nylander thing. Uh, it's been pretty consistent since Carlton got there that when the going gets tough, Patrick Kane gets 28 minutes. And you can't rely on Patrick Kane to do everything. And back in the day, you had Patrick Sharp out there who could get it done. And you had Marion Hosa out there who could get it done. And if you had a lead, good luck taking a puck away from Marion Hosa. He'd dangle you for 14 minutes and then go off for a quick water break and come back and finish the period. Hosa was dangerous like that. And for as much as Brandon Saad uh, looks and feels sometimes Hosa-esque, he's not that guy. Uh, there have been very few guys like that. Pavel Datsuk was that guy. Um, but Marion Hosa was a special animal when it came to that. Uh, they don't. The, right now, Patrick Kane can dominate people, and he can fill up a highlight reel. But it, it's hard with the rest of this lineup for him to impose as well on a nightly basis. And the more times he's out there for 27, 28 minutes, the harder it is for him to continually crank it up when he needs to and crank it up when it's time for somebody to go score a big goal. And that's why it is so critical for the Blackhawks to find a way to get more from DeBrinket and get more from Strom. And a lot of these young guys are only going to learn that killer instinct from being in the NHL and having a leader off the ice, the guy in the suit with the earpiece on behind them, telling them how to get it done. And that is what the reason the Blackhawks fired Dennis Savard and brought Joel Quinville in was to take a young team and teach them how to close the deal. And he did that. And now you've got a veteran team that has known how to close the deal, but they're older and a bunch of young guys who need to learn how to close the deal. Uh, and you've got a head coach who looks like one of the uh, toys in the movie Toy Story uh, when he does us the favor of shaving when he has facial hair once a month. And he just kind of stands there with this just milk toast expression on his face, like, oh, the world's melting. That's cool. Um, you need someone who's going to fire it up. And I don't think Mark Crawford's that guy either. Um, respectfully, I know that he's coming back in January, um, but there's a lot that's been said about Mark Crawford. Uh, he was a guy that won in Colorado with incredibly talented teams before there was a salary cap. Uh, this is a different world than guys like uh, he won in. And frankly, Mike Babcock won in when he started in Detroit. And so you need a coach that is going to know how and when and where to push buttons appropriately to get these guys to understand what it means to close the deal. And I, I just, I don't see Jeremy Calton being that guy. Uh, and it, I, someone needs to get these kids to learn how to close it. And with the injuries to guys like Duncan Keith, it's becoming harder and harder to rely on guys who are new in the city, like Oli Mata, who's got a couple rings at home. Let's not forget that Mata's a, a multiple-time Stanley Cup champion. Uh, but it's hard for them to really jump into a leadership role when you've got guys like Seabrook and Taves and Kane in this room, and even Brandon Saad. 
it's hard for a new guy like Mata to jump in there and be like, guys, this is how we finish it. Because everybody's going to look at those same three or four guys. Uh, but at the end of the day, the coach needs to be the guy who's really barking at him. Because when you're in the trenches, it's really hard to stand up and say, hey, you know what? It's it's time to go. Uh, let's close this thing out. You can, but somebody needs to yell at the guys on the bench while you're out taking a shift. And if Kaner's out there, again, for 28 minutes, uh, or if Taves is out there for 22, 23 minutes, somebody's got to be talking while they're skating. Uh, somebody's got to be leading while they're on the ice. Uh, and it's got to come from behind the bench. And I don't, I just, I don't see Colton doing that right now. So tab that just brings us to the ultimate question here. How long of a leash does he have? We heard some rumbling. If you're, if you're digging into the depths of Twitter over the weekend, after that St. Louis game that, that people are saying, okay, the end might be near here for Jeremy Colton, but let's be realistic with this. How long is this leash right now? For Jeremy Calton, is it close? Is he going to finish this year out? Can you see him here multiple years? What do you think? Um, I, I, I get the overwhelming sense that Jeremy Calton's fate in Chicago is tied to Stan Bowman's fate in Chicago. Um, and I, I really feel like Bowman making the move to go from one of the greatest coaches that the league has ever seen in a future Hall of Famer, Joel Quinville, um, to uh, a guy who had coached for a couple years in Europe uh, and is younger than three of your core pieces, really put himself out there as a general manager, took a chance on a kid. Uh, and thus far, uh, it's not going incredibly well. Uh, he, he threw him a bone last year. Everybody forgets that the Dylan Strom for Schmaltz trade happened after Quinville was fired. And Strom came in and obviously lit the world on fire with the Brinkett while he was here. And that, I think, made up for some of the blemishes that could have been there from Colin's first year. Uh, because a lot of people always love to over uh, point to the uh, positives. And Dylan Strom was a huge positive last year. Alex Brinkett was a huge positive last year. Those two guys really clicked. Uh, Joel Quinville never coached those two guys together. He had to bring it solo for a year and a half. So uh, I feel like if, if something's going to happen, I feel like uh, the next general manager is going to be the person who decides who the next head coach of the Chicago Blackhawks is. Uh, and when that happens, I don't know. Uh, but if things don't improve quickly, the Blackhawks do have some really nice pieces that teams that have legitimate championship aspirations could certainly use. Um, guys like Zach Smith and Ryan Carpenter who can kill penalties and do a nice job defensively and don't make a ton of money. You just broke Johnny's heart. Uh, and, and, <laughs> I love Ryan Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, I love me some Ryan Carpenter, and I thought that that was one of the best signings that they had in the offseason. But Agreed. because he's such a great player and he has such great value in the niche role that he owns and does an incredible job with, that's a guy who has trade value. And if you're not going to make the playoffs and you want to, again – make room for some of these younger players. Like, God forbid Dylan Sakura gets more than, like, 30 seconds of a whiff at the National Hockey League just to figure out if he actually has it or not. Well, uh, haven't we seen for Ed? We'll get yeah, into that later. It, but <laughs> He doesn't. But it would be nice to see him get more than 30 seconds of a leash to prove that, um, especially with how much they've talked him up. But there are other guys that I'd like to see get a crack at it, and you've got guys on shorter-term deals that you, you could shop, and you could probably start bringing some assets back with – but that brings back the question, do you want Stan Bowman making those decisions? Do you want Bowman being the guy that moves these guys out? Or is he going to 
status quo it at the trade deadline and ride it out and see what happens and get less value for guys with less term on their contract uh, or guys that are walking in unrestricted free agency at the draft. So I do think that the two fates are tied. Um, the way that things are trending right now, I would not be shocked uh, if both of them were replaced during this season. Um, but it would be a bold statement for both of them to go. I think at this point, uh, the general manager would be the one that I would make the change with first uh, and let the new GM come in, get it, get re- get himself settled a little bit and do some internal evaluation of everything in the organization before you start having the ax fall. Because frankly, you're not going to go get a guy who's going to put this team in the playoffs off the street. Like with what's going on with Mike Babcock right now, you're not hiring him. And frankly, with what's come out about Mark Crawford, it would be a pretty bold statement if the Blackhawks were like, Jeremy, thanks, you're gone. Mark, you're the head coach now. It'd be pretty, pretty tough to hand the reins to, to Colton right now. You're sure as hell not bringing Bill Peters back. Uh, you're, and if what Bill Peters has been accused of is bad, if what Mike Babcock has been accused of is bad, we won't even bring up what Mike Keenan's probably been accused of. So there just there, there aren't a lot of coaches. And if you wanted to go to the college ranks, uh, which Montgomery was doing really good things in Dallas this year, um, and seeing him get run for non-hockey-related issues uh, was stunning. Uh, it, it'll be interesting to see how the rest of the season plays out because I loved what he was doing down there. But if the Blackhawks wanted to go to the college ranks, uh, and I, one thought that I've had for a while, that would be a total Bowman move because he's a Notre Dame guy, is Jeff Jackson. He's had guys like from Steven Johns to Vinny Henestroza to Dennis Gilbert go through there. Um, the Blackhawks know Notre Dame. They're in their backyard. Um, would the Hawks want to chase Jeff Jackson? It would at least be interesting, but I don't think that Stan Bowman is going to make the decision on the next head coach. Yeah, Tab, uh, a lot of great points that you brought up in there, um, and it'll kind of segue us into our next one here. Um, we, we talked a lot about, uh, I think you brought up a good point there with uh, the coach and the GM being linked here, but l- let's put that aside for a second because, like you said, nobody that you bring in off the street right now, you can't just go and pluck one and then all of a sudden you're a contender. It, it don't work like that. Everyone knows that. So uh, l- let's table that for right now and say Tab Bamford is the GM of the Chicago Blackhawks. Uh-oh. Another issue that we're going to get into. How do you Uh-oh. handle the salary cap this upcoming offseason with Strom needing a contract, with all the issues uh, lying ahead? Well, the other thing that you have to keep in mind, and you're gonna, this is the summer where you see a lot of the dominoes start to get lined up by different organizations to make sure that they're compliant for the Seattle expansion draft. And so having a few guys around that you might not necessarily miss if they end up in Seattle, um, this is the time that that's going to happen. Um, but understanding that, let's remember, um, and it breaks my heart as a huge fan of his, but I'm not sure how much uh, Corey Crawford's going to want to continue to play after this year, given his health issues um, and some of the things that he's talked about, uh, his different, the way that his perspective on life and the game has changed since becoming a father. Um, should Crawford walk away, the Blackhawks have some cost-efficient backup goaltenders in-house, whether it be Delia or Lankinen, uh, that could theoretically come in and they could re-sign uh, Robin Lehner for next year if he wants to come back. 
Um, but the Blackhawks are going to need to address the goaltender situation because both of their veterans are UFA. Um, if they decide to go Delia and bring uh, Robin Lehner back, uh, and br- let's say they bring Lehner back and they give him Crawford $6 million, you're still saving about $4.5 million on what they're doing this year. That 4 and a half could probably just get handed to Strom and call it a day. But I do think that there are going to be some guys that they're going to have to really sit down and think long and hard about what they do for this team and if they're necessary. And I think that you're going to see guys like a David Kemp, uh, if he continues to struggle at the dot, if you got to choose between Carpenter and Camp, I'm keeping Carpenter because I, I want to see Kirby Doc develop into an NHL center. Uh, and right now you've got 37 guys fighting for faceoffs, and you've got a coach who refuses to give the kid a crack at it. And so I think that you're going to start seeing some of the guys that maybe had one year left on their deal who would not play a role in the expansion scenario um, start to get shopped. And I think that this is the end for Eric Gustafson. I don't think he's back in any scenario. I would have traded him at the draft. Um, but it, I think that at this point, he is the number one guy that I move because I do think that there's value for a guy with his shooting ability, uh, his passing ability. Um, and you just hope that someone doesn't need defense out of their blue line, um, Doug Wilson. And you go ahead and find a way to find Gustafson a new home and get anything that you can back. You know, Montreal's looking for help on their blue line. Um, and they've got a boatload of draft picks. I think they've got like a third of the fourth round. Um, but yeah, Montreal's got a ton of picks. They need help on the blue line. Go ahead and give us a third or a fourth for Gustafson. We'll call it a day. Uh, if you want to give us a first because you owe us for Philip Deneau, that's cool. Uh, if you want to give us Philip Deneau back, that would be incredible. Um, but no, I, I want to see uh, some of the dead weight cleared out so that these kids can actually start to play in the roles that they should be. Kirby Doc playing center Dylan Sakura playing somewhere else Eric Gustafson playing somewhere else um Adam Boquist playing in the National Hockey League um and playing more than 13 minutes a night Dennis Gilbert playing in the National Hockey League he was terrific against Minnesota and guess what he got almost 19 minutes keep doing that Uh, and if that means that one of Mata or Murphy's got to go I really like the way that Connor Murphy's developing but his cap hits a little high. And it, the question for me, if you wanted to move Murphy, is what, what is Calvin DeHaan at this point? This is the same shoulder that he had the reconstructive surgery on earlier this year. That's a pretty big issue. That, that's twice now that the right shoulder has, been gone, has had to go under the knife. So um, the concern with DeHaan's shoulder is legit. They'll get about $4.5 back off the books if they go young with the backup goaltender spot. And then I would just start cutting that dead weight. Keep as few people as you can to just make the, the requirements happy for Seattle. Uh, and every other piece of dead weight, your Zach Smiths of the world can go. And again, draft capitals, draft capital. And where you're going uh, is hopefully a brighter place than it is today. If someone wants to really grossly overpay you for Ryan Carpenter, it would break my heart, but let him go. Um, because you've got guys that should be able to play a fourth-line center role at camp, and I want to see Kirby Doc at the dot. I want to see him playing center in the National Hockey League. Excellent answers there, Tab. I have a follow-up question to your your GM plans here, and this, this might come in a little hot and heavy. Have we wasted the remaining chances at a cup run with this core? given the fact that we do need to develop some of these kids 
Caden Taves, Keith Seabrook, they're getting older. We all know it. Is this it? Will there be a transition, or does this team have another deep run or Stanley Cup run in them, given what we face right now? Uh, I, I don't think they're done, but it comes down to the depth that you're able to build around them. And there comes a point in time as an organization that you need to own the fact that you suck and you need to start looking at next year. And the last two years, the Blackhawks have refused to do that. And I feel like this year they need to acknowledge that they suck and start looking at the future because the reality is that Duncan Keith should be your third or fourth defenseman. If you want to make a deep run, you've got to do better than Duncan Keith. Brent Seabrook should be your sixth defenseman if you're going to make a deep cup run, which means you've got to have somebody playing those minutes. You need guys to elevate their game. You need to have guys in position to play those big marquee roles. I still think Kane and Taves have got a few years left where they can play those primetime minutes, but you've got to fill in around them. You've got to have those guys like Kubalik coming into their own on that line. You've got to see that Debrinkit's got it. When the chips are on the table, you've got to see Debrinkit put it in. You've got to see Strom get it in, and you haven't seen that from them because they haven't had the chance. Um, but I do think that there's a there there, but that's why it's so critically important to face reality, acknowledge that the 1920 season sucks and start grooming kids to learn from those hard roles. Because look, the hardest part of this whole thing is Blackhawks fans now forget, especially if you're like 30 years old, 15 years ago, before you had a driver's license, Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook were these pimple faced little kids that were getting their ass kicked all over the ice and they learned by playing and they played through it and they got coached up and they learned from their mistakes and the the best way to learn is to make the mistakes and be given the chance to go do it right a second time and you you need to have kids like Boquist and Gilbert get the opportunity like Bowden like Chad Chris maybe Eventually, Ian Mitchell, uh, I, I think that, you know, the Vlasic kid, the Regula kid who's already got a contract for next year, who's playing on the top line uh, at the tryout tournament for the USA team looking ahead to World Juniors. Get these kids into the system. Give them an opportunity to play at the NHL level. Let them fail when the rest of the team is failing around them. And then let them learn. And, I, again, it comes back to coaching and I love Sheldon Brookbank, but I need a stronger voice back there too, especially if you're going to be developing kids. And there are two guys in the organization who are affiliated with the organization right now who I would absolutely love to see take their suit and tie and stand behind the bench instead of being in a suite. And I'll probably get absolutely lambasted for saying it on Twitter, and that's fine because people love to torch me out there anyway. But one, I would hire one of these two guys right now to coach your defenseman, Brian Campbell or Chris Chelios. Talking to Nick Letty when he was a kid back in the day, in Rockford, in the basement out there, after a game, talking to him about what he learned that first time that he came up as a 19-year-old with the Blackhawks, he told me point blank that he learned more from just skating with Brian Campbell than he had being at one of the best high school programs in Minnesota, being a gopher for a year, uh, just the way that Campbell played through contact, the way that he absorbed contact, the way that he created space, 
the way that he had patience with the puck, even though the train was coming down the tracks. Uh, Letty loved what Campbell brought to the table. Brian Campbell does a great job of uh, eloquently helping players around him too. Now, whether or not, you know, as a father of young kids, that he, if he wants to get back into that saddle, uh, that's kind of up to him. And I would get it if he's happy just hanging out in Hinsdale with his kids. Chelios has been offered a job to coach for the Blackhawks in the past. He turned it down because he wanted his kids to get through college at the time. His kids are all out of college. Kelly's doing a hell of a job down doing the broadcast with the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, he's an ambassador now. That that bridge has been rebuilt. And I know that there's a lot of folks in the Blackhawks fan base that still hate what he was about, hate that he took the trade, hate that he brought the cup back to Wrigley Field. But he knows what the hell he's doing. There are very few defensemen in the history of the National Hockey League that have the resume that Chris Chelios does. He worked in player development for the Detroit Red Wings for years. Uh, he has an eye for coaching. He's wanted to coach. He's been offered a job but since Rocky took over the team. And since Bowman was named the general manager, they've offered a coaching position to Chris Chelios. Do it again. Put him behind the bench and let him coach these kids up. And I think a guy like Duncan Keith, who's getting to the end, a guy like Brent Seabrook, who's getting to the end, well, when the Hawks traded Chelios to Detroit as an almost 40-year-old for two first-round picks, people thought he was almost done, and he had like six years left in the tank. So if anybody's going to help a guy like Keith or Seabrook understand what it takes to prolong a career and finish those contracts that they signed, it's Chris frickin' Chelios. So for me, love me some Brookbank. I don't, I'm not saying he's a bad coach. I'd put him back in Rockford. I think he's doing a, a great job with the freaking injury-riddled blue line that he's been dealt with this year. But I'd bring in Chelios. I'd give him the reins. I'd get some of the dead weight out of the way, and I'd let these kids make mistakes so that in 21 or 22, before Taves and Kane hit 35, you've got a shot at another deep run. But the kids have got to learn what it takes to finish a regular season and then go play some more. Dabrinkit hasn't seen the playoffs yet. Strom's not seen the playoffs yet. They need to know what it takes to play 100 or 110 hockey games in a calendar year. Um, but they also need to learn from their mistakes and go out there and do it again. So uh, that's kind of where I'm at with uh, do they have a deep run? I think they could, but they're going to need somebody else to carry the mail when they get there. And you've got to let those kids develop and show that they can do that. Yeah, absolutely. A lot to chew on there, Tab. So we will let our listeners, if you uh, agree, disagree, uh, let us know in the replies when we drop this episode. Um, so, Tab, kind of getting into the future here, you'd mentioned a bunch of these names before. We really got heavy into that coaching segment there. Um, I, I like to focus a lot on the future. I follow the prospects fairly closely. Um, I was wondering, from your perspective, which names in the prospect pool are most intriguing to you and why? Oh, boy. Uh, That's... Great question. I, I I love, and I said this a little bit earlier, I am a huge Ian Mitchell fan. Uh, when they drafted him, uh, I was pretty freaking stoked about it. Uh, I mean, this is a kid who, as an 18-year-old, went to DU, who at that time, let's not forget, was the reigning national champions in Denver uh, and was playing on the top special teams units I was playing on the top pair as an 18-year-old true freshman for the defending national champions. Um, I mean, this is a kid that reminds me of Duncan Keith, frankly. And 
Uh, I'm really excited to see him in the National Hockey League. Uh, the Regula kid that they got in the Perlini trade fascinates me. He's got size for days. He and Alex Vlasic are two guys that I really think uh, are going to be able to bring a heavy element like Dennis Gilbert does. And what the Blackhawks had back in the day with a banger and somebody that would move the puck next to each other. I, you know, being able to roll a Boquist out there with a Gilbert, maybe a, a Bowden with a Vlasic or Regula. Uh, I mean, Boquist was on the team with Regula in London last year. Uh, but having some size, having some people that other teams actually have to worry about physically would be kind of nice. People to clean up the, the garbage. And then up front, you know, I know that he was banged up last year in his freshman year of college. A lot of people really like Jake Wise, but the injuries kind of took a little bit of the shine off the apple with him. Um, and I, it, it's always hard with college prospects because you don't know if the college game, is, that what they're doing in the college um, level is going to translate well. Obviously, with a guy like Sakura, it didn't or hasn't yet, I should say. Um, but Evan Barrett, the last year and a half, has been an absolute beast. Uh, and he's I think his style of play, too, just kind of makes him like kind of a little bit more up, like elevated than the other yeah, regular you know, I, hate, guys. I, hate, I hate saying this because I, lo- I love the kid, but um, to say that he reminds me of Andrew Shaw would be accurate. Um, but what I hate about the way that Bowman is drafted recently is that Ryan Hartman reminded me of Andrew Shaw. And they didn't develop him at all. And they traded him away. And we never saw Ryan Hartman become the, the, the cost-efficient replacement for Andrew Shaw that everyone thought that he could be. And I feel like Evan Barrett could be that guy. But again, a little bit of pause about uh, the college game transitioning to the pros. A little bit of pause because we've seen this song before with Hartman and it didn't work out. But I, I do, I really like his game and I think it will translate well. Um, so, I mean, those are a few of the guys. Brennan Hagel fascinates me too. Um, and then uh, came off and uh, the... I always LTV just, Ackman. <laughs> yeah, sure, whatever it is. Uh, the, 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 the kid who could have been in Star Wars this Friday. Um, yes. That guy, <laughs> uh, those two kids have got a ton of athletic ability, a ton of offensive upside from what I've seen. Um, the question is just, A, when do they come over? And B... Uh, is there a commitment to the defensive end of the ice that's going to translate well? Because Chicagoans have loved to knock Russians for years. We haven't had a lot of great luck with it outside of Panarin. Um, But I think that there's a lot of hope that one of those, if not both of those two guys, could really come over and give you that really flashy player um, that hopefully, again, has some level of defensive responsibility because Alex Nylander's flashy at times. Uh, but then he plugs in the Helen Keller method on the defensive side of the rink, and you just want to punch <laughs> yourself in the nose. So you gotta you gotta play the, both ends of the rink, uh, and I hope that some of those kids do. But th- those are a few of them that I, I think intrigue me the most. Uh, the Graham Knott experiment not working out again. You know, I wrote about it last week. Bowman's inability to draft well the last five years has really uh, hamstrung the franchise, and so that's where. When I start looking at prospects eight, nine years ago when the Blackhawks crushed it and ended up with like Saad and Shaw in the same draft, uh, 
you, you looked forward to seeing these kids at the NHL level because you felt like they were developing guys and turning them into pros. The way that they've used prospects to trade for mediocre Band-Aids like Dale Weiss, uh, and the way that the, when they bring the kids up, they don't always actually pan out like Sakura, has given me a little bit of pause when I look at the next generation of Blackhawks coming from inside the organization because we just haven't seen it. Uh, we just it, it hasn't worked out for a number of years. Uh, and so I hope that they prove me wrong. Uh, I really hope that they somehow find a way to have that generation come in and be a cost-efficient next wave of stars because that's how you're ultimately going to get another cup run before 27, 19, and 88, hang them up. Um, but again, the, the track record over the last five years gives me a lot of pause when considering if, uh, if there's going to be something that they've drafted uh, or someone that's homegrown that's actually going to come in and make that difference. Yeah, Tab, I'm definitely with you with the uh, sort of kind of being hesitant on that or a little bit skeptical, uh, definitely all for those reasons that you had listed there. But the blue line does intrigue me uh, for guys like you had mentioned, Ian Mitchell, and then I like the combination of puck moving and uh, kind of big bodies that they have. So um, th- that's kind of... Thing to keep an eye on to sneaky uh, late-round pick, but Josh S., who's playing yes, college... Josh hockey, S. at Wisconsin... Wisconsin. Yeah. Love his game. He's sneaky good. Uh, and uh, a guy that he kind of reminds me a little bit of, who the Blackhawks drafted 10 years ago, uh, who is now getting a whole lot of love north of the border, uh, Justin Hall, who played his college hockey at Minnesota. Mm-hmm. Taller guy, was a defenseman, but tall and lean, uh, played at Minnesota, <laughs> and uh, never really stuck with the Blackhawks organization. Wandered around a little bit. Now he's, he's actually doing some really nice things for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Um, I think Josh S. has a lot more upside than Hall did when he came out of uh, Minnesota. Uh, but he's another guy that I would definitely keep an eye on who might be a guy that they let play four years of college hockey because they don't really need him yet. But I think he's a guy that could really down the road be a real gem for him. Yeah. For sure. Uh, definitely, guys, keep an eye on. Uh, that's what we have you here for, t- Tab. Uh, guys, under the radar that uh, we may have our eye on that others uh, kind of overlook. So um, as we, you know, we kind of talked about the under radar guys, but let's get to the big ones. Who do you see as the next face of the franchise for the Blackhawks? I mean, I, th- I think they're desperately hoping that it's Kirby Doc. Uh, he was He was the bright, shiny light that they dragged out at the draft. Number three pick, which, of course, the parallels, the Taves are unavoidable. Uh, the fact that the third pick has so much historical significance in the city of Chicago, whether it's Savard or Michael Jordan or Jonathan Taves, it's done pretty well for us. I think they'd love for it to be Kirby Doc. I think they'd love for Adam Boquist to eventually step into that role. But again, if I was betting on 10 years from now, the guy whose bobblehead is being given away on opening night or the top selling Jersey for the Blackhawks when 1988, two and seven have walked away. And hopefully they you don't know, knock on wood. Some of these kids end up becoming national hockey league players. I would bet on Ian Mitchell that he's a, he's a captain in college. He's got every leadership element that you would want to see. He plays every tough piece of the ice. He plays every hard minute. Um, and I know that Boquist is here already. Bowden's already in the organization. You've got Vlasic and Regula coming. A lot of people like what Gilbert's doing. 
I really think Ian Mitchell's going to be your next Duncan Keith. I think he's going to be the blue line leader of the next wave. Uh, and the sooner the Blackhawks get a contract on him and make room for him to give you significant minutes at the NHL level, the better. And again, that comes down to finding a way to cut some of that dead weight off the, off the NHL roster now, because I want Ian Mitchell playing 75 games and 19 minutes a night for the Chicago Blackhawks next year. That's my guy. Love it, Tab. You've, you've done, you've done, uh, you've done excellent with all these questions you've provided tons of great insights uh i'm going to move it into a little bit of a different uh section here less about the current team and more about uh you know something that we have all enjoyed as blackhawks fans what was your favorite cup run and why oh lord i i think 2010 will always be special um obviously it broke their incredibly long drought but social media wasn't quite what it is today and uh, there were people that had phones with cameras on them but not as many and that team was if you've read some of the stuff at the athletic and and elsewhere that was a team of playboys who were old school they got after it they partied hard Uh, they had fun together and you could tell that they truly loved playing with each other. Uh, not to say that 13 and 15 didn't, but that 2009-2010 team was one that felt like a pre-salary cap juggernaut. And you felt like when they won the cup, they weren't done. And even though they had to blow it up, and a lot of people thought they were done in 2011 and 2012, they did come back. But... I I feel like, you know, 13 coming out of the lockout, they were so dominant that you really kind of expected the cup, even though they ran into a damn good Boston team. You kind of expected that they'd win it. It was like Tampa last year, but they didn't get screwed out of the first round. Um, And then in 15, uh, you just, again, you, there was a lot to love about Tampa, but, I, I feel like there there was a sense that the Blackhawks were gonna were gonna win that series all along, and the fact that they were able to do it at home, uh, being at the game when the cup came out on ice in Chicago and was handed to someone wearing the Indian head, will give me goosebumps until my final breath. Uh, but for me, I think 2010 is the one that will forever uh, be the difference maker because you saw what these kids were about. You saw that they were for real. And after growing up in the 80s and 90s and watching all of the teams with Larmer and Secord and Savard and Wilson and Murray not get there, and Chelios and Ronick and Amante and Belfour and Hashik and all those guys not get there, to see him get there and finish the job uh, was just breathtaking. So it, it would my favorite cup team will forever be 10 until the next one when they knock our socks off and Ian Mitchell wins the Conn Smythe or something ridiculous like that. So I'm just <laughs> going all in on full-blown bromance on Ian Mitchell tonight. But, uh, no, I, it, it's 10 for me. Yeah, uh, Tab, we had uh, Dave Boland on here. We also had Brent Sopel on. And uh, the 2010 team definitely was something special. Uh, and, you know, uh, I we're glad that you shared your uh, sort of so reasoning behind that because – on the lawnmower through downtown Hinsdale and 
uh, how he and Quinville were picking where they were going to have lunch in Hinsdale with the cup uh, sitting next to him at the table. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, Brent, yeah. Brent's sitting at Pages in downtown Hinsdale, and here comes the cup with Brent Sopel walking in the front door. So yeah, no, that that ten team was. Everybody on that team had a unique personality. Uh, everybody on that team. I mean, people forget how much everyone in this town hated Brent Sopel for being a wasted. I mean, he was the Brent Seabrook of 2008. He was the, how on earth are you telling me that you're worth all this money when all you do is block shots and get hurt? And then he goes out and plays some of the biggest games of his life and wins the cup in 10. And at the end of the day, block shots and block the ones that mattered most. So, uh, yeah, yeah that, that 10 team. And I think you, you talk to the guys like Bolin and Sopel and every one of them, so much personality. I mean, God, watching Steger skate out over the weekend, just lo- it, you love pretty much everybody on that team. It, it's hard yeah. not to, uh, except yeah. for maybe Niem for taking the money in San Jose and taking Crawford's job out of training camp when they should have just rode Crawford and he'd have three cups and be in the Hall of Fame. But that's a whole other discussion. <laughs> yeah uh we'll leave it at that there yeah. uh tab uh we we appreciate you uh answering all these questions in depth here so um we're, we're gonna go a little bit quicker here uh as we alluded to before we uh brought it on for the listeners here um we're into our slap shot section here and this is a segment where we fire these questions off tony will uh tee them up for you and then you will fire them in the net with your answer uh you about ready for that sounds good all right, Tony, take it away with slap shots. All right, Tab. First off, and I'm going to fire these real quick at you. Favorite hockey player of all time? Steve Larmer. Favorite NHL arena? Oh, God. Uh, I, I would, I, I'm going to stick with the United Center. I, I've been in seven, uh, but I would say the United Center has the, the most unique experience, and the anthem is worth it every single time. What's your beer of choice? Uh, at a game? Oh, geez. Uh, usually, uh, if I'm drinking at the game, uh, I have pre-partied before I got there. So I really don't care how much the $7 beer uh, it is. Uh, I'm really not a guy who cares what the beer is when I get there. If I'm, if I'm not driving, if we're doing work that night, uh, it doesn't matter what the beer is as long as it goes down cold. Red or white Blackhawks jersey? Red. Favorite sport besides hockey? Baseball. What's the best place to eat in Chicago? Jeez. A little trendy, but I'll say Ocheval. The burgers are, if you don't want to feel your left arm for like a half an hour when you get done, uh, I would definitely say make sure that you take your blood pressure medication before going there, especially if you order one with bacon. But uh, that is absolutely worth, worth every single penny. What's your favorite spot to sit at the UC? Uh, 300 level right above the Blackhawks bench where I had season tickets for 10 years. Stan's worst trade of all time. Oh my gosh. Uh, Stan's worst trade. Uh, Philip Deneau to Montreal for Dale Weiss and whatever other uh, pilot. Thomas uh, Fleischman. Yeah, there you go. Fleischman. Uh, you know, the, the guy who, no, that's Floorshine makes shoes. Either way, no soul. Uh, no, uh, yeah, I, Dale, that Philip Deneau trade. I think the Yokoharu one could end up being that bad, but Philip Deneau is the third line center that's cost efficient that the Blackhawks have desperately, desperately needed for the last four years. They had him, they developed him, and they traded him for crap. So that's the worst. 
Eddie O or Pat Foley? I'm I'm gonna go Foley, uh, and I know that a lot of people think that uh, he's gotten cheesy in his old age. But if you grew up watching and listening to him and Talon uh, laugh at their wee knee jokes and things like that, uh, there's a there's an element of heart and soul to him, like there was with Harry Carey, uh, and there's just a nostalgia to hearing his voice come on with the broadcast. So I, I'm gonna go Foley. He loudest, means Hawk but yeah, he does. Uh, loudest anthem you've ever heard at the United Center. Game one of the 2010 Stanley Cup final. Uh, I was in the auxiliary press box under the flag, Philadelphia media, and some of the national media that had not been back to Chicago since they became a crap show. Kind of poo-pooed the, oh, you guys cheer during the anthem. I'm sure that'll be nice. Uh, And for game two, a lot of those Philadelphia media members who poo-pooed it during game one had earplugs in for game two. So I will say game the national anthem specifically the loudest roar that I heard was game one of the 10 Stanley Cup final. Favorite Blackhawk of all time? Steve Larmer. Least favorite Blackhawk of all time? Jeez, uh, where do I begin as a kid? Like I said, I was in college in 98 when the Chelios deal went down. So, uh, so many to choose from that middle era. Uh, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm going to chuck him under the bus, and it might not be fair because he probably doesn't deserve it because he isn't worth that much. But I'm going to go with Victor Stahlberg because there was so much. And I think Nylander's going down that road real quick with me where there's so much sex appeal and the IQ doesn't line up with the ability uh, and just the inability to shoot and the inability to stop without crashing into something. Um, I think it was probably, and they needed Stahlberg to be more than he was at the time. I'm going to go Stahlberg. Best concert venue in Chicago. The Vic. Any secret or unknown talents? For me personally? Yes. Oh, Lord. Uh, I throw a nice circle change. Kane or Taves? Taves. Favorite band? Uh, Living or Dead or Doesn't Matter? Doesn't Matter. Uh, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. White Sox or Cubs? Uh, I am neutral. Uh, I, I love them both. I've covered them both. Um, so I'm not, uh, I'm not really picky about one or the other. And yes, I do cheer for both. Would you throw down with Andrew Shaw? Beer or throw hands? Either. Uh, I would love to throw beers with uh, with Andrew Shaw. I would probably not throw hands with him. Uh, somebody who played college football and has dealt with concussions myself uh, and who values what he brings to the ice, uh, I wouldn't want to either get a concussion or give one. So I would probably not want to throw hands. But beers all freaking day. Favorite vacation destination? Naples, Florida. Which numbers would you retire from the cup years? Uh, from the cup years, 1988 to seven. And I would, as they did with uh, Palat and Maggie, I would retire seven as Seabrook and Chelios. Uh, and I would also retire 81 and 50. I would, I would hang up Hosa and Crawford as well. Tommy Hawk throws the gloves down. Can you take him? Yeah. All day, and I've thought about it a few times after about a dozen beers. <laughs> Get a baker's dozen in me, and if that thing hits the drum too close, I might be triggered. Favorite hockey movie? Uh, Miracle. Who wins the Stanley Cup this year? Oh, jeez. Uh, I'm going to say the Colorado Avalanche. And the last one to round it out, when will the Hawks win their next Stanley Cup? 
after they retire Steve Larmer's number 28. All right, and that was Slapshot. If they, they do that this year, who knows? <laughs> that was Slapshot's tab. That was awesome. Uh, thanks for participating in that. Johnny, you have anything else uh, with tab? Anything to circle back on in some of these Slapshot answers here? Uh, not really in slap shots, uh, Tab. I just want to say thank you again for coming on so much. Uh, there's just one question that we kind of didn't get to that I kind of wanted to round this thing out with. Um, just thoughts on Dylan Sakura because uh, I am in the camp of I'm done with them. And, uh, we, you know, I know you had said, you know, you want to see him out there a little bit more. Uh, and he's obviously back up on the roster, has not been playing in the last two games. I understand that. But, um, you said you need to give him a little more of an opportunity. Uh, didn't he not get three stints already? <laughs> he has gotten three stints. Um, at this point, I, I feel like he's always looking over his shoulder. He has no confidence that he's going to stick in Chicago. The way that Quinville uh, basically punted him every time he hiccuped on the ice, uh, which happened for a lot of kids. Um, the way that Carlton has just refused to give him any leash whatsoever, um, which he's done with Doc as well. Um, for for a young guy like him, I feel like comfort level might be what changes his uh, ability to affect the game. I don't think he's ever going to be a top nine NHL forward, but at this point I would give him some run, not only because of what we talked about earlier. If you're going to suck, at least see what you got. Um, and if there's a there there with the kid, let's see if there's anything that you might be able to flip him for. And if he's going to be a healthy scratch in the National Hockey League, he will never have trade value. If he's going to be a 25-year-old putting up 50 points in the A, he's going to have minimal trade value. So either trade him for a bag of parts, throw him into a deal with somebody else, or just put him in the AHL and cut your losses. But either way, he's taking a roster spot from somebody else who should be and could be developing in that spot, whether it's in Rockford or Chicago. So I would say, see what you get out of him. Give him a month, play him 10, 15 straight games, give him 13 minutes a night. And if at that point you can't trade him for anything, send him to Rockford and he's done at the end of the year and God bless. See if he can stick somewhere. He might end up in Europe, but, um, but I think you, you have to do something with him and having him sit as a healthy scratch on the NHL roster, you're not doing a service to the player or the franchise because he's not increasing his value either to the organization as a player or as a trade asset. For sure. I just wanted to get your answer on that. Cause that was something that came up, uh, but it kind of wasn't in the full of our questions. So this is the last time to flush it out. So uh, I appreciate that. Um, other flush than it Tony, go ahead. think about this. Here's yeah. Blackhawk season. <laughs> yeah. Cleanse Tony? the system. Tony. No, I don't. I don't have. I don't have anything else here for for Tab. I I really appreciate you coming on, man. Um, just one little quick story on my end. Uh, you, you talked about that that 2010 Cup team uh, being your favorite, and I was uh, I was starting my first job, and I, I met a guy um, who was also a, an avid Hawks fan, and uh, this was February uh, 2010. And uh, he introduced me to your site, and I followed all your coverage through that 2010 run and, and from then on, and I appreciated all the work you did. I mean, that's, that's where I got all my Hawks news daily, man. And, uh, I mean, it, that was just – I mean, you, you brought back goosebumps when you were talking about it, just the way that that, that team, you know, uh, 
was a bunch of playboys and you know people didn't have phones i mean it was me and my buddy sitting next to me cube mates reading your site day in day out for all the hawks news and discussing all this stuff and um you know that's one of the reasons that we got into this is you know johnny and i talking hawks every day after every game and stuff and i go back to that that those were the good days man so i appreciate it uh, it's awesome to finally have the chance to talk to you and uh yeah just thanks for coming on man I appreciate it. Uh, hopefully we can uh, grab beers and put a handshake with a voice and a, a video chat sometime soon. But, yeah, I, I really do appreciate that. And hopefully we get to a point where uh, the Twitterverse isn't quite as negative and we can get back to the fun days where social media can be uh, really excited about Blackhawks hockey. Because right now there's so much doom and gloom about whether it's the coach or the front office or the prospects or free agent signings. It, everyone has become skeptical uh, and negative about what's going on with the Hawks. And frankly, rightfully so you're two and a half years removed from the playoffs. And this year looks like it's trending more towards the lottery than the postseason. Um, but I do think that when you have guys like Taves and Kane and Keith and Seabrook leading the way, uh, there is a chance for you to bring it back. Uh, and so the hope is that before those four guys are done, uh, wearing the Indian head, that uh, there there can be another rebirth, and and it doesn't take us another generation of Blackhawks fans to go through crap to come out the other side with a trophy. I think yeah. that's what we're all hoping for. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So, uh, Tab, we just wanted to say thank you. And before you go, uh, can you let our listeners know where they can find you on social media and on the World Wide Web? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Twitter handle is at the one tab. Uh, check me out at the fourth period.com, uh, on the regular, and then also committed indians.com, uh, 10 years strong. Uh, and again, uh, apologies for anything that goes down in the comments section because it's been a couple tough years, but, uh, committed indians.com, the fourth period.com, and on the Twitters at the one tab. All right. Awesome. Uh, Tab, thank you so much for joining the Four Feathers podcast tonight. We really appreciate you coming on and taking time to talk to us about a various number of Blackhawks topics. Uh, You have a good night, man. And we're going to wrap this thing up and then uh, close it out. Thanks, guys. Talk again soon. And that was Tab Bamford from CommittedIndians.com. Johnny, that was awesome having Tab on tonight. What would you think about that interview there? Yeah, that was great. Uh, Tab was an excellent guest, like you had said, uh, reading him for a long time, both you and I. And, uh, you know, it was just great to hear him expand on some of these topics because you can only get so much from the Twitterverse or even from a post on the site because he's a busy guy. Uh, He's got a bunch of different sites that he contributes to as well. So it was good to have him on for an extended conversation tone. Yeah, it was. Uh, He brought up a ton of stuff that... uh, you know, you and I have talked about, he expanded on so many different things that uh, I, I didn't even really take into consideration. You know, when you and I do some of these post-game shows, it was it was a learning experience for me, to be honest. Um, just, you know, from from his, some of his takes, I've I've always respected his opinion on, on Blackhawks matters and, you know, having him on here. I think that was awesome. Yeah, I thought it was great as well. Um, I was just, you know, uh, it was nice to sit back and listen to a little bit mm-hmm. of a different uh, take, a little bit of outsider, like you had said, makes you think on some of that. Uh, a lot of the stuff that he said as regards to coaches, uh, I definitely think that could make a difference in the future. It's a matter of, one, those guys want to come back. Two, if the Blackhawks would be willing to, uh, you know, 
uh, have them back and uh, in what capacity. So um, just definitely a lot of different intriguing uh, sort of topics that are brought up there. So I hope that was insightful for the listeners here, Tone. Um, are you about ready to uh, move it on into the latter half of our show, though? Yeah, absolutely, Johnny. Uh, what else we got for the listeners tonight? So first, I'm going to take everyone through a prospect report, and then uh, we're going to follow it up with the Colorado preview, since the next game that will be coming up is the Colorado Avalanche, and we will be seeing them twice in this week that it is released. This is Tuesday, December 17th that we are uh, recording this, so uh, the Blackhawks play the Avalanche on the 18th of December, and then again on the Saturday of this week, so um, hopefully this will be a a little bit of a longer-standing sort of uh, timeline on this episode here so before we do that though i'm going to go and get ahead and get into the prospect report um some notable names here won't run through all of them like we always have um lately uh down on the farm nicholas bodine for the rockford ice hogs finally recorded his first professional goal that came on december 13th uh he's got one goal six assists seven points in 24 games so far for the rockford ice hogs uh that was a name that tab had mentioned that you could possibly see as a staple on the blackhawks blue line in the future uh good to see him finally find the back of the net there so i uh, just wanted to make note of that because uh the point though the point production overall has not been through the roof, uh, maybe that can help him get on a little bit of a roll here. Um, other than that, uh, guys that have a little bit excelled since we have last talked here on the Four Feathers podcast in this prospect report, Mackenzie Entwistle, uh, he was part of that return in the Vinny Hindestroza uh, trade out to the Coyotes. He came back from them. But uh, for Rockford this year, uh, first year in professional, he was in juniors last year, but he has five goals, six assists, 11 points through 21 games for the Ice Hogs. Definitely an uptick in production uh, over the last month. Uh, Philip Kershev, another one. Uh, he's got four goals, nine assists, 13 points through 25 games for the Ice Hogs. And then uh, at Rockford, Colin Daly had himself a night tonight. Um he played for the Ice Hogs. Uh, they were on a rare weeknight game, whereas their games are mostly on uh, weekdays. Colin Daly had himself a nice night in net tonight, uh, helped bring down his goal goals against average to 3.30, 886 save percentage. That was through 10 games. Uh, but Kevin Lankinen has been the star in net there. Uh, he was the one that was called up as the emergency goalie on that day that Robin Leonard was uh, down for the count with the flu. Uh, he's got a 2.53 goals against the average, 924 save percentage in 11 games so far. So uh, definitely interesting. Keep an eye on those guys because if you're talking about next year with the Blackhawks, uh, you know, they, they've got two goalies right now. Crawford, what, making six? Leonard making five. Uh, one of those is going to go. Uh, there's no doubt about it. So uh, one of those guys will most likely be up, whether it be Dahlia or Lankinen. Um, other than that, another guy that was named on here, uh, Alec Regula of the OHL London Knights. He was acquired in the Brendan Perlini trade. Uh, he's got 11 goals, 15 assists, 26 points through 27 games, so almost point-per-game production for him. He will be representing Team USA at the World Junior Championships, which starts the day after Christmas, the 26th of December, runs through January 5th. So uh, we'll definitely try and get some highlights from him there uh, and post them to the Four Feathers Pod Twitter and Instagram accounts. Uh, Other than that, another guy who will be representing his country in the World Junior Championships is Michael Tepley, a draft pick from this last year. Uh, 
Tepley has 13 goals, 17 assists, 30 points through 29 games, so a little bit better than a point per game. Um, and then through the Czech uh, under-20 international play, he's got three goals, four assists, seven points in six games. So, uh, you know, when it gets international like that, uh, there can be a little bit of divided time. Um, so, you know, his points, like I said, in both of those, you accumulate that. He's putting together a pretty nice campaign this year. Uh, definitely an intriguing prospect to keep an eye on. You can see more of him. For the Czech Republic at the World Junior Championships in that time frame that I'd previously mentioned. Other than that, another guy that we had brought up, Evan Barrett for Penn State. Uh, he had been a little bit more assist heavy to start the season. Now he is finding the back of the net. Seven goals, 15 assists, 22 points through 19 games for the Penn State University Nittany Lions. And then the guy that Tab was uh, drooling all over during that episode, Ian Mitchell. He's got three goals, nine assists, 12 points through 18 games for the University of Denver. He is their captain. Uh, he is a leader on the blue line. So, uh, you know, defenseman as opposed to Evan Barrett being a center. Um, with Ian Mitchell, you're not, you know, the points probably aren't going to wow you too much. But uh, from the highlights that I've seen, I mean, that guy quarterbacks power play, uh, he's a real big time leader for them. So um, th- that's all I've got for the prospect report tone. Uh, let's move it into the Blackhawks upcoming matchup here. It will be Wednesday, December 18th at home. 7.30 p.m. start against the Colorado Avalanche at the United Center. Um, we got shellacked by him the last two times we played him. What about that? Uh, it's time for some revenge. Yeah, it's time for some revenge here, Johnny, but didn't we get, didn't we deserve to get shellacked by Colorado? Uh, we just Not in the tap- first game. Not in well, the first game we didn't. We, we've gotten a few different things about Colorado out on this site and even in this podcast. Pat Comiskey wrote an excellent article about why Colorado is the team to beat in the uh in the central for the the time being here and, and they're a very dangerous team and then uh, i believe we heard tab say on this podcast that uh they're gonna win the cup this year so yeah. and, you know I, first of all i need to backtrack really quickly that game is at seven o'clock not seven p or not seven thirty like the usual start time but uh going back to your colorado thing yeah no tab did definitely predict them to win the cup this year yeah, so you're not going up against an easy opponent here, and we haven't really had any except for maybe the Wild uh, in this last little stretch of games. So, again, I go back to Johnny. Hopefully the Hawks can play up to it. And and we saw Patrick Kane take over a game. We, like I said earlier, we saw Brandon Saad kind of take one over himself a little bit here. Um, and I kind of hinted at it with, with Tab during that interview. Uh can we see Jonathan Taves take over a game? Maybe we could see Alex DeBrinkett take over a game. I'd like to see one of these guys take this over, and we talked a lot about leadership and accountability. Uh, you're going to need that, especially against a very, very dangerous Colorado Avalanche team. Yeah, dangerous, you say. Uh, dangerous, they are. 21-9-3 on the season, 45 points. That's good for second in the Central Division. Uh, they did lose on Monday night at St. Louis by a score of 5-2. to two. Um, but they've only lost two of their last 10. They're on eight, one in one stretch right now. Uh, I believe that is from November 27th, uh, was when that stretch started there. Uh, they've got a plus 28 goal differential that's second in the NHL, only behind Boston, who has a plus 29, and they are lighting the world on fire. Uh, both those teams are. Um, Nathan McKinnon's their leading scorer with 51 points, 20 goals, 31 assists. Uh, Kale McCarr, the stud young defenseman. Uh, technically still a rookie because he came up last year during the playoffs. Uh, eight goals, 20 assists, 28 points for him. And then uh, Jonas Donskoy, 13 goals, 14 assists, 27 points. Pretty balanced for him. 
Uh, and they have Miko Rantanen back, and uh, his numbers, the only reason he's not a part of that top three of the scoring that I just listed, Tony, is because he finally came back uh, when we played him last at Denver, um, and that was, whatever, the Saturday after Thanksgiving. Yeah, uh, I mean, I st- I'm still going to go back to this, though, Johnny. The Hawks have been overpowered in a few of these games, and not only have they been overpowered when they've had leads, we talked about that St. Louis game at the start of the show, they've choked them away. One of the things that Tab brought up and we've talked about and we, we, we kind of circled back around on this is if the Hawks are able to get a lead in this game, they cannot take their foot off the gas. No. They cannot take their foot off the gas for one second. I don't think they can afford to take their foot off the gas for one second the rest of the season, Tony. No, but especially against a team like this. And we're we're getting into mid-December. It's going to be late December very soon. And I think you bring up a good point here. They can't afford to take their gas off the their foot off the gas for one second. It's going to be it's going to be huge if you could get Duncan Keith back in here. It's going to be huge for that defensive core to have another guy on there that can handle the amount of minutes that Duncan Keith can handle. But you have to remember, first game back, you're not going to get full-fledged Duncan Keith back, I don't mm-hmm. think. You know, there's there's going to be a little bit of a, a ramp up period for him, especially with the injury that he had. It's it's going to be hard for him to skate 25 plus minutes. You know, just coming off that groin, you can you can say that you're feeling good in practice. You can say it all you want, but until you're in game situation, it's a little bit different. Given that that full effort, so this is still a wounded Hawks team. Johnny, it's it's still a very wounded Hawks team. Uh, another, another name is uh, Kelvin DeHaan. Another name is Andrew Shaw. There, there's a lot of key pieces to this 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 roster that are not going to be playing uh, in this game that they had earlier on in the year when they when they had played Colorado. So it's it's kind of hard for me to believe that they're going to come out here and be able to handle this. We saw we saw a very good effort in the first two against the Blues. We're going to need that for a full three against Colorado. Yeah, so uh, one thing to note is that Duncan Keith exited the game on Black Friday. Uh, that was the first of that home-and-home home against the Avalanche. Uh, he exited during, I believe it was the second period of that game when he got blown by by uh, Nishkinen. I think it was on a goal uh, that kind of opened the floodgates for the Colorado Avalanche there um, in that game. So Duncan Keith has been out for a nine-game stretch since then. The Hawks have lost four of those games by three or more goals. So um, definitely, e- even at a you know a little bit of a, uh, I guess, um, diminished version of Duncan Keith, it's better than not having him in the lineup because, uh, I mean, those just speak for themselves. Uh, adds to the defensive structure, helps stabilize pairs, all of that stuff. Um, I will say that there is one thing if they can build on. Uh, they limited the Minnesota Wild, who obviously aren't as much of a high-octane threat as the Colorado Avalanche are, but they held the Minnesota Wild to 26 shots on Sunday night. So even that, if you take that mentality, and obviously you're going to have to you know, uh, account for the extra talent and speed that Colorado has, if you can do that and take that mentality of limiting shots against a team like the Colorado Avalanche, it should bode better for the Blackhawks on the scoreboard uh, as opposed to getting blown out in their last two meetings against them. Yeah, uh, I, I agree with what you say here. Johnny, who are you going with for your stick to click in this game, though? 
I'm going with Brandon Saad. Uh, that guy is uh, feeling it. I think that is the best way to describe it. We like to use the term, the boys are buzzing, and that means more than uh, just a, you know, like a catchy catchphrase uh, for the most part. Um, it, Brandon Saad is definitely buzzing. All this season he has been. He's one of the most consistent players on this roster. Uh, you saw him get rewarded with, uh, you know, one finally caught a break and had a shot, even though it was a little bit weak. That first goal that went through against St. Louis, I uh, had another one there in that game as well. That's what we are talking about with Tab, uh, the possibility of him getting that hat trick in that game. Um, but uh, he had another redirect goal uh, on Sunday night against Minnesota Wild. Uh, just getting to the areas that he needs to be, he generates a lot of shots from the slot. Um, I mean, he, he uses body effectively. If there's ever going to be anyone that was going to at least have a similar mold, not the same production, but a similar mold as a Marion Hosa, it's going to be Brandon Saad. I'm rolling with him against Colorado Avalanche. Well, you were throwing out Hosa comparisons, and that's a name near and dear to my heart there, Johnny. Uh, so you stole my pick to click or stick to click. I should say here, you stole it. Um, so I'm going to have to go Alex to bring it. I don't know why, but, uh, he's a guy that needs to find the back of the net and he needs to find it more consistently. You, you know what I could see? I could see Alexander Nylander being bumped early on. You know, say they start those same lines that they had rolling against Minnesota with Nylander on the second, I could see him being bumped for Alex to bring it being placed back up there on the second line. So I think it's a good pick. So, uh, Hey, just justify it for me here <laughs> at this point in time, justify it for me here. Uh, to bring it needs to find the back of the net. Um, I'd like to see one of those nice little, uh, one timer goals from, from Alex to bring it. I think though that would be uh, pretty cool and tough. Yeah, absolutely. We need it. Uh, like tab had mentioned, uh, in the interview, to bring it's shot percentage, not nearly where he wants it to be uh, volume of shots that he's getting, uh, not where he wants it to be, not where the team wants it to be, not where the fans want it to be. So uh, I feel like they find a way to utilize one of their best goal scorers. We know he can do it. He proved it last year. He got paid the money. Uh, you're paying him for a reason. Let's see the production on the ice. Uh, people like to complain about the uh, Seabrook, uh, Kane, Taves, Keith contracts whenever they're not. Uh, producing well uh, you don't hear too much about to bring it one he's still young and two obviously I don't think you should uh, I think you know he kind of solidified that for himself last year that he can do it but it's just a matter of getting those opportunities so um, gets the opportunities I think he definitely can convert so I like that sick to click Tony um, closing thoughts here before we wrap up episode 36 of the four feathers podcast closing thoughts I'm just gonna beat this dead horse Close games. We saw this all last week where you had leads, you blew them, you choked them away, going to shootouts, whatever. Close games. We need to know how to close them. That's something that our guy Pete Hand has talked about with the White Sox front office. You need to know how to close. Coffee is for closers. All the different things that you can say about closing stuff out. The Hawks have really had a lot of trouble doing that. I would like to see the Hawks in the next stretch here until we have another four feathers and we're talking about these on Blackhawks on tap. I want to talk about closing out games and I don't want to just close out games with one goal leads. Johnny, I want, I'm greedy. I want two, three goal leads and that's how I want it to stay. That's how I want the Hawks to win multiple goal leads, not just one, not overtime victories, not going to the shootout. None of that bullshit. I want wins. And when I say wins, 
I'm talking blowouts. I want at least one blowout victory by the next time we record Four Feathers Podcast because blowout victories, one, they're cool and tough, and two, they show that you can dominate an opponent. The Hawks just haven't seemed to be able to do that very much lately. I want to come back here on Four Feathers and talk about we blew this team out, we blew that team out, and we blew these guys out. And that's a testament to how well that they're playing at this point in time. Tired talking about the losing. I know we talked about this a lot with Tab during this this episode, how we, we need to play some of these younger guys, and I completely agree with that. But building a winning culture, and we've talked about this on the Sox side over and over again, building a winning culture only leads to better things. The Hawks still do have a, a chance to make the playoffs this year, but I'm not going to sit here and put all my eggs in one basket and say it's going to be a bad year if they don't. I want to see what Tab said happen. I want to see the Hawks grow some of these young guys, but I also want to see them grow in a winning culture. And we, he even brought up some examples about how they learned how to win. That's what they have to start doing right now. This is essential. If you want to see this team succeed over the next two, three, even four-year period, it starts right now. Like I said just a few minutes ago, mid-December is going to turn into late December. is going to turn into February, March before you know it. The points are incredibly important right now. But on top of that, the development of guys like Kirby Doc, Adam Boquist, some of these other young names are very important. Those are the guys that need to have success right now. And Jeremy Carlton needs to give them that chance to have success. And especially the leaders on this team need to show them how to win. I love it. Um, going back to your uh, point about wanting blowout wins, uh, about holding leads, leave no doubt. That's what I will double up with on yours. My other one, uh, I think I really echo a lot of what you said there, but I'm going to finish off with redirect goals are cool and tough. Two of them on Sunday night made me so happy. David Camp uh, doesn't have to be pretty every time. doesn't have to be a really hard uh, deflection straight into the net. That one kind of fluttered and still got over the goalie. Uh, and then Brandon Saad's game winner. Uh, that ended up being a uh, you know nice redirect out in front. It was so great that you didn't even know who scored at first because Kubalik was there as well uh, with the net front presence. Get more of that net front's presence, redirect goals, cool and tough. We got guys that can get the puck to the net. Um, fool them. Fool the goalie uh, on something that is a shot that you can generate almost every single time you're in the offensive zone. So, Tony, that is all I've got for episode 36 of the Four Feathers podcast. Everybody, make sure you're going to ontapsportsnet.com for all your Chicago sports literature and podcasting needs. We've got Blackhawks coverage over there. We run that unit. Uh, we've got plenty of great Bulls, Bears, Blackhawks, White Sox, Cubs, uh, fantasy football, gambling, anything you want over there. Go check it out on tapsportsnet.com. Tony, let's close this thing out how we always do. Let's go Hawks. Let's go Hawks. Hawks.